Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, less ukulele. On this episode, even in this time of constantly changing brewery beer lists, the holidays do still carry some traditions. And one of my favorites is the appearance of beers like Sierra Nevada Celebration and Anchor Brewing's Our Special Ale, aka Anchor Christmas. In this two-part episode, Denny and I sit down with Scott Ungerman, brewmaster of Anchor, to talk about Our Special Ale and how it's changed over the years and how to make your own version. In the next episode, we'll taste the beer and discuss how we'd brew it. But first, a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publisher of none other than Simple Home Brewing by two guys named Denny Kahn and Drew Beecham. Maybe, just maybe, you've heard of them. If you want to streamline your brew day, make great beer, and have a blast in the process, head over to BrewersPublications.com and buy a copy of Simple Home Brewing. The American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 individuals who share a common passion, beer. Since 1978, the HA has promoted and advanced the most delicious hobby in the world, providing brewing resources, supporting homebrewer-friendly legislation, offering exclusive member deals at breweries and homebrew shops, and hosting one-of-a-kind events like HomebrewCon and the National Homebrew Competition. Join your beer-loving peers at homebrewersassociation.org. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring Artisan Malthouse Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout, Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. Well, welcome back, everybody. Thank you for listening to those fine, fine messages from our sponsors. Remember, if you interact with any of them, tell them that you heard about them here on The Brew Files so that they know they're not spending their money all that foolishly. Now, it's Christmas time. We've done a couple of things around the holidays, but to me, it's not the holidays until I can get some of my favorite beers. We've talked about celebration in past episode, but now it's time for something a little more special. And I'm sitting here with uh, Scott. Scott, introduce yourself. Scott Ungerman, I'm the brewmaster at Anchor Brewing in San Francisco. And so what is so special that we're going to talk about it today? We're going to talk about Christmas ale. <laughs> okay, our, our special ale, uh, which has been a perennial, well, a perennial favorite. I think it's been around since what, like 1975? Yep, exactly. This is the 45th year. See, I knew it. All right. Well, hey, Scott, why don't we get started and tell people about your history of brewing and, well, how you got involved in brewing? 
I actually uh, grew up here in the Bay Area and I uh, went to school, went to college across the Bay in Berkeley and actually toured this brewery for the first time back when I was uh, a college student uh, who didn't know a whole lot about beer um, and didn't even really, hadn't been introduced to the concept of home brewing at all until, you know, this was the mid-80s and so home brewing had only been around for about a decade uh, legally in California and uh it was it was when we first toured this brewery that my buddy and I learned about uh, the you know that even the concept of, of making your own beer and because the tour guide here told us about it and also uh, told us that there was a homebrew shop right in Berkeley called the Oak Barrel where we could go get everything we needed and so you know it was only a couple of weeks between that first touring this brewery and popping into the Oak Barrel and and. Uh, getting, uh, you know, turned on to the whole world of, of homebrewing, and, and it became a, a hobby for the rest of my time in college, and then I I was actually an English major undergrad, and I uh, was teaching high school and heard about the brewing program at UC Davis uh, while, while I was down in Southern California, and that was when I had my light bulb moment that I could go to school, study brewing, um, turn a hobby into a career, and that's what happened. So was uh, Homer there when you were shopping at the Oak Barrel? Yep. Yep. He's been around forever and a day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And this was forever ago. All right. Well, and so you went to UC Davis and you actually, I mean, you did things to get professionally trained. So let me ask you about that. What was the biggest difference in your mind between what you learned as a homebrewer versus what you learned at Davis? You know, D- Davis is a, a lot of science and theory. Um and uh, the one home brewing book that uh, I, I bought, the Joy of Home Brewing back then, uh, it really, you know, it, it was a guideline, but um, it, it just went a lot deeper in in Davis. But I can tell you that with all that I learned in the in the couple of years that are, and I was actually there an extra year, I was a TA of the the brewing program um, for a, a third year. And then I, I left to go to the East coast to go get a job in a brewery and worked in a very big brewery. I started with Anheuser-Busch and you know, what I, what I learned on the job was so much different than what I learned in the classroom. Uh, yeah. I think Denny, what's your, what's your favorite quote from uh, car talk? Reality often astonishes theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you, you, yeah, you worked for ABI for a good long while. And then when did you come over to Anchor? You know, as, as I said, this was my first inspiration to getting into brewing. And I, I loved Anchor Brewing and continued to love Anchor Brewing as I, I moved around the country working for Anheuser-Busch. Uh, my, my original goal when going to work for AB was just to be there for a couple of years, uh, learn the ropes. And then I really wanted to go start my own brewery. Uh, but that never happened. Um, and I kept getting promoted and moved uh, across the country. And you know, life got in the way, and and I eventually, you know, I found my way to Brewmaster with AB, and I was getting ready to get set to start looking for a job um, because I I knew it was time for a change uh, back in 2014 when this job came open, and I just jumped at the opportunity, and it was uh, you know I didn't even have my resume together when I heard about this job, so I, I just knew it was the right thing at the right time and and uh, within three weeks of hearing about the opening i was here and i've been here over five years now so it's been fun well and that's talk about such a change you know to go from you know sort of the very high-tech world of ab breweries because i've toured the plant here in uh, van nuys 
And I mean, that's a lot of science, a lot of technology and whatnot. And then you go into that brewery at Anchor and there's still technology there, but it's still, it has this much more old world feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's 1950s technology and not all of it, but I mean, that's what we start with. Our brew house is a 1950s era brew house that still run really the same way. You know, when I started with AB, I started in Newark, New Jersey, and that brewery was built in 1950. And I, I spent seven years there, and during those seven years, we automated the hell out of everything. We took things from this uh, more manual world into a more automated world. So I, I had seen both both worlds at AB, and and even in the other breweries I, I worked with that were built over decades, you, you see the old technology with the new and um, it's nice to come to a brewery that, that has this much old technology that still functions great and makes great beer. And um, occasionally we've added in some new things and, and you can still, you can work within those parameters and, and still keep the process pure. And it's, you know, the process is the same no matter whether it's automated or manual. You still have to figure things out. You still have to know what's going from where to where and, and how you're controlling it, even if you're controlling by different methods. Just stepping out on that floor, being amongst those copper kettles and that big copper grant, it really does kind of make you feel like you're stepping back in time a little bit. And and now, speaking of stepping back in time and actually kind of coming forward to the future, one of the things I think we'd be remiss to not talk about this is, for years, I always thought of Anchor as being tried and true. You had the limited number of things that anchor was going to do. And you knew they were going to be great. You know, you had your steam, you had Liberty, you had uh, Porter foghorn. And of course our special ale, but that's changed recently. Yeah. I wouldn't say like totally recently. It depends. I guess recently, like within the long spectrum of a brewery that's been around for over 120 years, you know, we really did kind of explode our offerings. Um, in the in the last five years, uh, with more IPAs and more light fruity things, and and various other uh, beers that are different, you know, we, we made a Mexican lager for the for the Giants, and uh, those are you know areas that we had not explored in the past, and and yeah, it's it's nice to be able to make a variety of beers, but but I, I agree that concentrating on those those core beers and making sure that. That that's that's really who we are. It, it's a really great identity. I, it, like I can know whenever I taste an anchor beer, I, I know some of the things I'm going to expect to see in there. And at the very least, I always know that the craftsmanship is going to be pretty top notch. All right, so let's let's actually get talking about the the beer. I have uh, a sample of this in front of me. Yay, love this. Um, so we we said earlier our special ale was first brewed in 1975. So this is the coming up on the 45th year of it. T- tell me a little bit about how you would describe this beer to people. This particular beer, I mean, first of all, as a series of beer, it's evolved over the years, and it's it's you know we give ourselves the liberty to change the recipe, you know, not drastically, but but in a in a fairly wide bracket of it's going to be something that is big and dark and flavorful. And it's going to have some spices. It's, uh, you know, this year I would describe specifically this style as a spice brown ale. Um, it is a beautiful kind of ruby red brown hue. Um, and uh, the spice notes are, are distinct, but not over the top. Um, we've, we've, 
learn to use a, a subtle touch with the spices rather than to come in too hard and heavy because those those beers, while they may be really interesting, they really don't stand up well over time if you over-spice the beer. Uh, so we, we like to describe it as a, a delicate balance of spice and malt. And I was going to say, I, I know that one of the changes that I've noticed over, over time is when I first got into good beer, which would have been about 1999 here in California, Anchor, our special ale, always had this sort of mythos and legend about it, which was, oh, you have to age it at least a year before it's really drinkable because it was so spice forward and so aggressive. And I've noticed like, yeah, really over about the past decade or so that seems to have gone, well, either my palate has become more fatigued and therefore dumber. And I don't, I don't see the spices in the same way, or it really has kind of come back in such a way to a better balance so that you can actually really approach it right there in the first year. Yeah, the, the spice note got heavy in the early part of this decade, and actually, um, when I when I came on board in fourteen, that that was probably the height of the most amount of. Uh, different spices and things we were using in there. And after that year, we really began to strip them away. And then we also began to take up the ABV and make it a bigger beer overall um, in order to help it age um, and age gracefully. I've always been amazed because Anchor, because this beer used to always be 5.5%-ish in that range. I was always amazed at how well it actually aged. At one point in time, every year my club has a tasting at the Stuffed Sandwich down here in San Gabriel. One year, Marlene had you know put together a flight and included a vertical of our special ale. And if I remember correctly, the oldest bottle was about 30 years old. And despite the fact that it was past its prime, I was really surprised to see just how well it held up. Not always. It doesn't always hold up all that well, but but yes, that um, it, it does. It does really age gracefully, um, and we we hope that these, uh, you know, the the ones that we're making now, they're designed to to still be delicious three to five years from now. I, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't vouch for it after thirty, but well, I wouldn't count on any of us aging well past thirty. Um, now, usually with beer, we think you know alcohol or hops are really sort of the keys to something aging really gracefully. But of course this is neither super hoppy nor super alcoholic. So what do you think are the keys? Why, why does our special ale actually age so well? Well, one thing is, um, you know, we filter it and we flash pasteurize it. We flash pasteurize everything during filtration. Um, that buys you shelf stability. It means that it's not, whatever aging is going to happen is going to be just kind of natural oxidative aging. It's not going to be a bacterial secondary fermentation or anything weird going on in there. Um, you're, you're setting that by, by, uh, by using that practice and, and taking out, you know, things, you know, filtration doesn't just take out yeast cells and, and proteins. It's, there's protein tannin complexes. So you're pulling some of the tannins out that might oxidate over time. Um, and it, it really does help. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there are two different schools of thought. You know, you certainly can age bottle-conditioned beers, and, and they can age age quite gracefully, but there you've inoculated your chosen culture into the bottle, and, and you have, you know, an idea there that it's going to secondary or tertiary ferment in the bottle, and, and that's going to protect it 
um, in certain ways and, and give it um, what you're looking for. And, um, you know, ours is, is another method, which is, is just set it and stabilize it and, and, you know, then store it in a dark, cool place and, and it should work out nicely. And again, to people who haven't tried this with aging our special ale, it does actually really hold up, and I'm always kind of amazed at it. Now, let's talk about some of the legends about the beer, because there are quite a few, for, as there would be for any beer that has been around for you know this sort of period of time. You you hinted at it a little bit earlier. The recipe is constantly shifting. The spicing is constantly shifting, right? Uh, how how do you guys decide year over year what what it is that you want to use, what it is that you want to target? So what we'll do is in March, um, we'll sit down with last year's beer and the recipe in front of us, and we'll taste it, and we'll look at it, and we'll talk about it. And we'll, uh, you know, and there's three or four of us that are involved, our pilot brewer, uh, assistant brewmaster, the lead brewer. Um, and so folks that are, you know, really knowledgeable about this particular beer and know what process we've gone through year after year um, and, and come with some ideas of, hey, how about this this year? What about this? Well, let's look at this beer. What, what should we, what should we add in, and what should we take away? It's it's kind of that simple process. And then um, after doing that, we will brew some prototypes on our, our little. Uh, we have a, a Sapco uh, Brew Magic, just cool. basically a, a really nice little uh, seldom used. Uh, uh, 10-gallon uh, pilot brewery. Seldom used these days because we now have a proper pilot brewery of seven barrels. But we'll start with that little one and and just it's kind of ingredient tasting and 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 getting base levels for what we're going to want to use. And then of course you got to submit to the TTB with a statement of process and get everything approved. And while we're getting ready to do that, we we acquire. Uh, you know, some, some bigger uh, quantity samples. And then by July, we're brewing, actually June, we're brewing over in our in our pilot brewery across the street some things that we'll release as a, a Christmas in July, you know, kind of prototype of what this year is going to be. And then we'll fine-tune it from there. That's interesting. Now, has there ever been something that you wanted to use that that you or at least an idea that you guys had when you started that whole process where it was like yes I want to do this and that and and it, and it just no yeah we wanted to use um some specific uh pine needles one year that were approved for use in food but not in in uh in alcoholic beverages and we couldn't get it approved in time we tried uh and failed that year and so we used some other spices but uh with the same intent in mind well, okay, so now that brings up one of the other legends that that I've heard more times than I care to admit. And, of course, as I always tell people, uh, beer history is uh, told by beer drinkers to other beer drinkers, so the relationship to the truth is often a little squidgy. The rumor I've always heard is, so every year there's a different tree on the on the label. And fantastic artwork, and it's gotten more detailed over the years. The rumor was always that, oh, you know, the tree that's on the label... Uh, they use a part of that tree in the beer, and I've always kind of like, looked at that and gone, "Really?" Yeah, and that's actually uh, that's actually what we were trying to do that particular year. But that, the only reason we were trying to do it is because it had never been done before. So um, that's one thing that specifically uh, is, uh, I think, shooting a hole in that myth. <laughs> Tell you another thing. I'll tell you a thing that we have used in the past that we will never use again, and that is frankincense. 
Oh, yeah, I can imagine. That's awfully intense and weird. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't remember what year that I'd be lying if I even knew. Um, So I can't tell you because I don't know. All right. So, so boys and girls, just remember you can strike one uh, one spice from the the list of things potentially used in our special ale. No frankincense. Well, and actually, so speaking of that, since this is our our brewing focus show, what I was kind of hoping is I know that the formulation is a secret. You know, state secrets, take it to your grave, etc. So you can't talk exactly what's in here. But if people were wanting to make their our special ale homage, what pointers would you give them? There's some different things you can do. Um, you know, one one broad hint I would give is that if you look at, and there is something that is, I think, published online by uh, the folks that make the gin that Fritz uh, started here called Junipero or, or Unipero or Unipero, depending on who you are and where you're from. Um, but it is, uh, that gin has, I think, more than a dozen botanicals in it. And those botanicals... Uh, have been sitting around in this brewery since they started making gin back in the early 90s. And so those were definitely things to play with. So if you look at that list of, uh, of what would be available um, through our local spice company, and, and you might get some hints. Um, but, it's you know, you should craft a, a scent that you like and don't try to use too many. Um, like I said, when we feel like it got away from us a little bit, um, we were using a half a dozen different things um, and, you know, maybe two or three spices to, to kind of point it in a certain direction and, and work with those and figure out which ones you like. Make some teas um, before you commit yourself all together. Make some teas with those particular botanicals and, and they're, they're aromatics, right? So um, if you add them too early in the boil, you're going to boil off all the aromatics. That's another thing is, is think about when you're going to add them, uh, you know, maybe at, at strike or, or, uh, or even in your hot work receiver if you've got one. Or even you could do some cold side things. Um, and Christmas Hale has often been dry hopped with different hop varieties. And the hop note, you know, blends in really nicely with the spices. So if you find that you appreciate the spice note complemented by the hop note, then don't be afraid to dry hop it. And you can dry spice and dry hop at the same time with certain things. You know, you just got to figure out which ones apply best. Um, And there are certainly some some liquid things you can add at the very end as well. Well, I was going to say one of the advantages homebrewers would have over over a professional brewery is that if we wanted to add an alcoholic tincture, for instance, that's much more doable for us than it is necessarily for a brewery. Yeah, and those can be beautiful, and you can you can make your own tinctures. We've done some some tincture stuff here for for some Birkins and uh, other various small fun projects, um, and they can be amazing. Yeah, they can be really intense. Yeah, just get some, you know, get some Everclear and, and start tincturing away before you know you're making all kinds of fun things. And having a fun time doing it, too. In a lot of ways, I mean, that would be kind of an interesting way to start it, at least from a homebrewing level, since a lot of times homebrewers aren't necessarily repeating the same beer over and over again. If you are wanting to make a beer like this, it would be good practice to say in June or July, make what you think the base beer is and then dose that with teas and tinctures, whatever it is that you want to try to see if it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can do that a lot of different ways. And we already said uh, no frankincense, don't do that. Any other thoughts on maybe other uses of spices in, in beer making instead of just you know thinking about the R special ale? Yeah, I think 
spices can be very interesting in a lot of different ways. Um, and, and the, the way that you, you incorporate them, um, I've seen a lot of different things that, that are, um, some are more successful than others. And, and certainly, you know, the spice preparation, if you want to, if you want to toast, uh, some coriander, you know, take some care, do it in a walk or something like that. If you want to, um, if, if you want to, uh, use certain other spices that are like whole berries and stuff, you know, grind them and, and get a clean coffee grinder to grind them in. Don't grind them in your coffee maker that's going to make them smell like coffee. Um, I mean, your coffee grinder, uh, and, or mortar and pestle them. I mean, it, there's a lot of different ways. The prep of a spice is very important. And as I said, when you add it, you never want to add something uh, with delicate aromatics uh, too early in the boil. Um, mm. Or many, like not when you're boiling at all. Um, and so um, I think that's that's an important uh, learning. There you go. And do you have a favorite spice? I, you know, I, there there are certainly so many beers made with coriander, and I I, I do love a Belgian bit. Um, and when 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 coriander is used right, I, I think it it really does complement uh, a certain style of yeast. Um, and and if it were ever uh, used in in something like a brown ale, I think it it's pretty nice there too. I think that's pretty good. All right, Denny, any any other questions that you have? You know, I wish that I had a beer here so that I could ask questions about it. But no, I I really appreciate uh, your explanations. Ah, thank you. It's a pleasure talking to you guys, and it's uh, it's actually the time of day when I'm going to go taste some beer. So <laughs> glad I had opportunity to get myself ready. And one thing we have, um, you know, we have a barrel aged Christmas ale. Um, that I'm actually about to go taste after tasting our regular production. It'll be the last thing I taste, but um, we are just getting ready to release this year's rendition of Barrel Age Christmas Ale, which is something we started doing a couple of years ago. Um, available only here at the brewery currently, um, but that's a reason to come to San Francisco. Yeah, and if people wanted to get uh, tours of the brewery, uh, they they still have to do reservations, right? Yeah, you, you just do it right online um, on our website, anchorbrewing.com. Um, there's a pretty easy click-through link to get you there, and we do tours uh, seven days a week, twice a day uh, in the midweek days, and then uh, three tours a day on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yes, and if anybody hasn't been to Anchor Brewing to do the tour, I highly suggest you do. Because also they have one of the most beautiful old bars that I've ever seen hanging out there in the tap room. Yeah, and uh, it's a it's a really uh, a really nice tour. And then you can visit the Pilot Brewery across the street and taste all the different things we're working on. See, that's that's just fantastic. I haven't been to the Pilot Brewery yet, so I think I, it's time for me to take a trip. Yeah. Well, hey, I think, uh, Scott, we've taken up enough of your time. I know you're a busy man. you got beer to go taste. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us and talk about our special ale giving our listeners a little bit of advice, some hints, some tips, some tricks, and some secrets. Well, okay, not so much the secrets, but still. And uh, when can people find our special ale? Because it's limited. Yeah, it's, it's available now. I know um, it's going to be at most uh, like big chain liquor stores. Um, it's definitely at Costco in the big bottles. Um, and 
uh, up here in Northern California, Safeway and Whole Foods. Whole Foods probably down in Southern California too. Boys and girls, if you get a chance to try one of those uh, Anchor Magnums, absolutely go for it. I think it's a, a fantastic way to have the beer. So again, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, Denny, I think it's going to be time for us to uh, go and taste some beer and uh, talk about how we might tackle our own version of this. I think so, man. Thanks again, Scott. You're welcome. You guys have a good day. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this dig into what makes Anchor Christmas so unique and what lessons a brewer can take away from it. In our next Brew Files episode coming to you Christmas Day, Danny and I sit down, taste the beer, and craft our homage recipe. Now, remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast.experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at Denny at experimentalbrew.com or Drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts, click the AHA, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year, and we're rapidly closing in on the end of this, chat with champs, helping kids with cancer to connect with each other. So give a buck, won't you? Until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com.